0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And today I'm responding to a lot of requests from people that contacted me through social media and elsewhere about this story. This is the tweet from IGN. WB Interactive has finally secured the patent to Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of War's signature nemesis system after multiple failed Attempts Now, if you aren't familiar with these games, these particular games play a little bit like an Assassin's Creed, but with orcs and other enemies that can remember that you fought them and can respond and can change their position in the orc hierarchy in a way that's very, very cool. And a lot of people when those games came out, thought would be replicated in other avenues. As it turns out, WB had actually taken steps to get the system patented, and that's been going on for years and years and years and years, only now getting approved here In February of 2021, as IGN describes it, Warner Brothers Interactive Entertainment publishers of Middle Earth, Shadow of Mordor, and the sequel Shadow of War have finally managed to secure a patent for the franchise's signature nemesis system. While the language in the application is fairly obtuse, as most patent claims tend to be, obtuse probably doesn't cover how difficult it is to read Patents. If you're not familiar with my line of work, I'm mergers and acquisitions, corporate generalist attorney that helps businesses form and function. But patent lawyers are something even more special. These folks have to go and describe all of the mechanics, all the methods, all the things that we think of as inventions that we can know when we see, but have to be described to the minute details in paragraph after paragraph and page after page. It's a very specialized line of work. I respect him a lot, but certainly patents are very difficult to understand and to read. As IGN says here, and I think it's slightly wrong, we'll talk about that. The short version is that the patent covers a system featuring procedurally generated NPCs that exist in a hierarchy and interact with and will remember the actions of players. Have their appearance behavior altered by players, and whose place in that hierarchy can change and affect the position of other NPCs in said hierarchy. And yes, that's the simplified version, probably a little bit too simplified. If you don't know, or if you haven't seen online, a lot of game developers have reacted very poorly to the news of this being patented. Warner Brothers receives criticism for patenting Shadow of Mordor's nemesis system here in Video Games Chronicle, which brought up a bunch of tweets from the folks like Mike Bithel. This is really gross, especially for a franchise that built its brilliant nemesis system on top of a whole heap of mechanics replicated from other games, as all games do, because that's how culture and creativity works. Be a better neighbor, WB. Now, here's where I defend our intellectual property regime just a little bit, and I think we have to understand this before we dive into the details here. The notion of intellectual property protection, which I know a number of my viewers and listeners disagree with seemingly at a foundational level, but the notion is that we in America and in other jurisdictions around the globe want to incentivize people to invent things, to write things, to create, right? And in order to incentivize them, we want them to have the ability to profit for the labor and time that goes into discovery, to creation. And so we have an intellectual property regime that says, you get a certain period of time where you are the exclusive owner of this thing, and can limit others from using this thing. And in the face of inventions, patents, that's a shorter time period than what we talk about with respect to copyright. If you write something out of whole cloth, wouldn't have existed without you, then you get a longer time period of protection than an invention, which is in some important respects a discovery, something that somebody else could have come up with that isn't just solely creative out of your mind. But in order to understand that, we got to talk about the differences in, in copyright and trademark and patents, right? Trademarks, those are the names. That's Apple. That's the Apple logo that allows you to identify something as being sold by someone. Patents are inventions. These discoveries, these things that happen when you put your labor into finding something out. A patent is a limited duration property right, as described here, relating to an invention granted by the United States Patent and Trademark Office in exchange for the public disclosure of the invention, that everybody gets to find it out. And some years down the line, that invention is completely publicly available and you made profits for inventing it and the public was benefited by it being publicly disclosed and that everybody can see it. What is a copyright? That's what we mostly talk about here in virtual legality. Copyright is the most prevalent in our neck of the woods, because it covers everything from making a video game source code to writing a book. And so copyright protects, as they describe here, original works of authorship, which means video games like Shadow of Mordor and Shadow of War are already protected by copyright. Those assets that you can see in the video game, protected by copyright. The source code for the game, protected by copyright. What Warner Brothers has done here is they have sought additional protection for the concepts that are contained In this video game, or as the actual Patent Act says, whoever invents or discovers any new and useful process, machine, manufacture, or composition of matter, or any new and useful improvement thereof may obtain a patent, therefore, subject to the conditions and requirements of this title. And once a patent is issued, whoever without authority makes, uses, offers to sell, or sells any patented invention within the United States or imports into the United States Any patented invention during the term of the patent, therefore, infringes the patent. Bad stuff happens. So what Warner Brothers has gone out and successfully got from this process is the ability to block other people from doing what they have had patented. But... It's probably not as simple as IGN suggests, or even as the other developers that you might see online suggest complaining about this process. And I think there's a lot to complain about with respect to this patent. We will certainly talk about that as part of this video. The patent is primarily what we consider a method patent. And I brought up the Wikipedia page because it had the most succinct summary. uh, And I think it's effective, but don't use Wikipedia in general for looking at legal questions. That's my recommendation. In the context of a method patent, A method is a series of steps for performing a function or accomplishing a result. While the terms method and process are largely interchangeable, you'd call it a method patent or a process patent, method usually refers to a way to use a product to accomplish a given result, and process usually refers to a series of steps in a manufacturing process to actually build something. When we go and we look at the claims that have been approved now, we can look at them with the understanding that what Warner Brothers has primarily patented is the method of doing this thing. And they haven't patented the output. Much like we talk about on the copyright side of things, right? You can copyright how you describe something, the actual elements of what you are putting in to the game, but you can't copyright the idea. The idea isn't copyrightable. The notion of playing cards to simulate a wizard's duel, not copyrightable. The way you did it, maybe. The the notion of... Fighting dragons in a dungeon, that's not copyrightable. The exact expression of what you did, what you put in your video game, Dragon Quest Eight, is subject to copyright. Here we've got a method and that method, and we're going to read through this, only this first claim because this is 36 claims, I believe, and you'll see how difficult it is to just kind of understand in the first instance. Claim number one, we are trying to patent at Warner Brothers a method comprising controlling by a processor game events in a computer-implemented game, the game events involving an avatar that is operated in response to input from a player, and a first non-player character that is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a first character parameters defined in a computer memory. Now, so that's the very first part. That's not the first claim. We haven't we haven't finished it yet, but that's the very first part. So they say, we want to control game events in a video game, the game events involving something that the player is controlling, and a first NPC that is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a set of parameters. This is where you get that kind of procedurally generated notion, but it might not be that easy. And we'll see exactly why I think this is probably fairly weak in in certain important places, but would need to be challenged by a legal authority and lawyers and somebody rich. And that presents its own problem. The second part of this first claim is detecting by the processor the occurrence of a predefined one of the game events involving an interaction between the avatar and the first non-player character. Again, not really saying much of anything. You've got a game. We want to control it. It's got somebody that's controlled by the player. It's got another person that's not controlled by the player. And we, through our method, are patenting the ability of the game to detect when something that we have said should happen between the character uh, and the player happens. And then upon that happening, changing by the processor. Second character parameters defined in at least one of the computer memory or a second computer memory for control of a second non-player character in the game based on the detecting, wherein the second non-player character is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on the second character parameters defined in the, at least one of the computer memory or the second computer memory. A few extra words there, patents, what are you going to do? And then outputting to an output device an indication of the second character parameters that are changed by the changing. Wasn't that fun? Doesn't everybody feel like they understand what was just patented? No? Yeah, that's the life of trying to read these kinds of patents. But suffice it to say, the important takeaway here, and this is their main claim. A lot of the rest of these claims are dependent on this claim, which doesn't make them invalid if we only invalidate the first claim, but we can get to that as well. That say, hey, the method of claim one further comprising things like triggering initiation of the changing based on occurrence of the predefined one of the game events selected from the group consisting of the avatar death or entry of the avatar into a new zone of play. Okay, so we can also change these kinds of things based solely on what the avatar does, whether they move to a different territory or they die. But before we get to all that, it's important to see what this is doing. So this says, when we detect something that you did to a first character we change something on a second character. And that is paramount to what they have received a patent on. If this didn't exist, this third paragraph didn't exist, they would have a significant problem. Because wouldn't we think of something like, okay, you've got an avatar and something happens between the avatar and the first character and, and the first character has something happen to it. That's not patentable, right? That's Zelda. Uh, that's Link swinging his sword at a monster in Zelda. That's anything that's ever happened in a video game. So their big trick here is to say, well, when something happens between the avatar and the first non-player character, we change parameters on a second non-player character. And then we can say, okay, and that's going to be reflected in all these various ways. It can happen on the avatar's death. Uh, It can happen based on a series of events. It can have a hierarchy in a faction, all this stuff. And that's how they've tried to make it seem novel. That's how they tried to get a patent on this. And then you see them swing back around in claim 14. I just have to mention this to say the method of claim one, what we just talked about, further comprising changing by the processor, the first character parameters based on detecting and outputting to at least one of the output devices or to a second output device, an indication of the first character parameters that are changed by the changing of the first character parameters. Said another way hey, that thing I just said about this paragraph making it novel, they also want to say, well, when the Avatar fights the first guy, the first guy's stuff could change as well. And we just go all the way through claim one to get to claim 14 to exactly what you expect in basically every video game. But that's how this patent reads. There's a lot of these kinds of things about factions and hierarchies. And the IGN summary isn't bad. It just misses this very critical component here. That is that WB got this patent because of this notion here, that they are changing a second character's parameters at the same time that the first interaction is happening with the first character. And that is what they have defined as novel, as patentable in this context. Now, I think that there's a lot of weakness here that we're going to talk about, but before we do, we have to talk about a few of the procedural things that go in respect of issuing a patent, right? First, the law says a person shall be entitled to a patent. Great. You start out with, yeah, you're, you deserve a patent. Unless the claimed invention was patented, described in a printed publication, or in public use, on sale, or otherwise available to the public before the effective filing date of the claimed invention. So, we've got a problem, right? Now, the main exception to that is a disclosure made one year or less before the effective filing date of a claimed invention shall not be prior art that gets you kicked out of the ability to patent an invention if it's made that one year before you actually filed for the patent. So, we're looking at a one-year timeline for the release of Shadow of Mordor. And we go and we look and we see that the patent was applied for in March of 2016. But Shadow of Mordor came out September 30th, 2014. You're doing the math at home, that gets you to September 30th, 2015. And then another six months pass before they actually file for the patent. Now, that doesn't immediately defeat it. There could be some things that didn't make it into this documentation. I can't see everything. I wasn't a part of these legal procedures, but just on its face, It looks like Shadow of Mordor should be prior art that would harm the applicability of their patent request for it being disclosed to the public before they actually went to go seek a patent. Now, does that actually happen? It's hard to say. The next item is novelty, right? A patent for a claimed invention may not be obtained if the differences between the claimed invention and the prior art, the stuff that existed out in the world, are such that the claimed invention as a whole would have been obvious before the effective filing date. In fact, one of the most preeminent ways of defeating a patent, even after it has been registered and filed uh, with the USPTO, is to go and tell the patent examiner, well, you missed 100 things. And so when you look at these claims here, these 100 things should say, you can't patent right now in 2016 because this stuff has been going on for 20 years. And in fact... If you go and you look at the dossier that the patent office put together for all of these documents, you have a patent office that spent years telling Warner Brothers that this wasn't novel enough. And if they had any weakness in these responses to Warner Brothers, the primary one might have been that they were focused on patents that were already issued. That's the primary way that you look at this. If you're a patent examiner, you say, okay, we've got these patents issued. And then if you look at that patent issued, you say, well, it's an obvious thing that you would change it in this specific respect. And so we're not going to issue this new patent because it's not novel enough for these purposes. What you don't usually get dragged into these kinds of examinations is the actual on-the-ground technology, the history here. Patent officers in general aren't going to know 30 years of video games to reference, but some of them do. In this particular filing in the dossier that I saw, which I believe is in early 2020, they're rejecting Warner Brothers' claims again by saying that other people making video game claims have already concepted out all of this. In particular, the reference in this particular rejection is to Crusader Kings. Crusader Kings teaches a first non player character that is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a first set of character parameters, and changing a second set of character parameters defined in at least one of computer memory or a second computer memory for control of a second non player character in the game based on the detecting, wherein the second non player character is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a second set of character parameters. But, in the parenthetical, they make it a little bit more English-oriented. See the Crusader King's Game Manual, where the player character has relationships with many different non-player characters, such as a court, family members, vassals, and armies. Such that the different non-player characters react and respond to the player character's actions and laws made during gameplay. Note parameters are related to the character's associated statuses and traits, for instance. When the player character and or the Pope dies, other non-player characters will fill these roles. You got to believe that this patent examiner played Crusader Kings, right? And just wanted to throw this into one of the rejection letters. I love it. I love it, by the way. And this should be, in my opinion, the way a lot more of this is done if you have this knowledge to bring it, but it's not as easily uh, evidenced as just referencing another patent or another claim in that patent uh, when you're responding to to a patent claimant like Warner Brothers here. Now they say all this stuff about Crusader Kings and they go on and on and on and talk about all this stuff. And then I think Warner Brothers is pretty disingenuous in kind of dismissing these claims. First, as we talked about, they point out that one of the things that people at the patent office had complained about with respect to this being obvious and non-novel, they have a description of Shadow of Mordor, how it works. And Warner Brothers says, in every example, the non-player character is itself affected by the interaction with the Avatar. No second set of character parameters of a second non-player character in the game are changed based on the detecting. This fails, therefore, as an argument against what we're talking about, which is, no, no, no. When something happens between the two of you, a third party gets affected. That, that's our big trick. That's what's patentable. That's what's novel about this whole thing. But then when we talk about Crusader Kings, they're actually, in my opinion, really disingenuous. Reviewing the various Crusader Kings disclosures, it is unclear which characters are controlled by the player and which are non-player characters, except in limited cases such as the Pope character, which the manual states cannot be controlled by the player. Even if the Pope's replacement is read on the second non-player character, the first non-player character on the Pope, and the detected game event involving the first non-player character on the death of the Pope, Crusader Kings still fails to disclose that changing a second set of character parameters of a second non-player character in the game based on the detecting wherein the second non-player character is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a second set of character parameters. Crusader Kings fails to disclose that the Pope character replacement is controlled by the processor to respond to and automatically oppose avatars based on a second set of character parameters. Now... The Pope parenthetical was not the only thing that we just read about in the Crusader King's description. This is one of the problems when we're talking about novel things like technology-based video games with the patent office, which is very specific and rigid about how to answer these claims and what they need to say. The Crusader King's thing was actually a little bit broader than I was expecting just kind of reading through. And I will admittedly have skimmed through this giant dossier uh, for five years, but Crusader Kings isn't dependent on the Pope's replacement hating you. It's everything that goes into that kind of game, right? If you do something to a religious leader, the Pope hates you. That's an event that happened between you and the religious leader in Crusader Kings, and the Pope's parameters have changed. To reflect a different opinion towards you. That's every strategy game that I can think of for a very long time. And it's really applicable to anything that you can think of where a third party changes upon an interaction between the first two, right? If you can just think in your head of an action RPG, because one of the things they respond to, Warner Brothers does in in a lot of this literature is, well, Crusader Kings is a strategy game. That's not an avatar-based game. Anyway, we're talking about something completely different. Our iteration is novel. But if you think of just an action RPG and imagine something where you fought two bosses once, and if you fought those two bosses at the same time and one of those bosses died, did the other boss get stronger or faster or angrier? Or maybe in an RPG context, did the order of events matter in some respect in a Mass Effect or a Dragon Age? If you did one quest before another quest and that second quest giver knew that you had accomplished the first Didn't their parameters change to reflect the fact that you had accomplished an initial goal? So you've got all sorts of instances that maybe aren't patented, but do represent prior art out there in the world that could be used as a defense against a claim like this one. And yes, when you take all of the claims and you get down and you say, all right, one is baked into three, and then maybe 11 is baked into three through one, and you get to a claim that actually has seven paragraphs, there might be some stuff here that Warner Brothers has that survives the entire invalidity process, right? And when we talk about invalidating a patent like this, the real problem is you'd have to go through the court system, right? The real problem is Warner Brothers sends you a letter that says, you can't do this thing in your game because you're violating our nemesis system patent. And even if you aren't, you are then faced with the question of, do I change something fundamentally or do I go to court? And fight Warner Brothers? Do I have the temerity to do that? And more importantly, do I have the cash resources to do that? So Warner Brothers event- eventually cowed the patent office into just saying, all right, fine. This went on for years and years and years and years and years. And then finally they said, okay, that's that's fine. We'll, we'll, we'll issue this patent. And this patent has been notified to be issued this month. But at the end of the day, I do think you still have problems with the whole thing, right? As I said at the start of this, a lot of these are nested claims, right? A lot of these claims are dependent on the first claim, and it doesn't mean that if you get rid of the first claim, these all die. You still have to go and invalidate every individual claim, but it does mean that they're built on a house of cards a little bit. They also have some apparatus patents, which I'm not going to discuss in this video, that basically say, hey, the system for accomplishing the method is also patented. But it's also worth noting. Before I end this video, I don't want to take up all of your time here on this wonderful Saturday that when we talk about a claim in a patent, you're only violating the patent. You're only infringing the patent if you do everything the claim says. Or more specifically, direct infringement requires a party to perform or use each and every step or element of a claimed method of product, right? So when we go and we look at their main claim, the controlling a processor, a predefined game event, changing a second non-player characters' parameters and then outputting that to a device and then building it all off of that. You don't do this step. You don't change the second set of parameters. You can accomplish the exact same thing. You can affect the same kind of movement in a hierarchy and faction changes and all this stuff. It's only when you do everything that exists in a claim, and that includes when they're baked in, it would be these paragraphs in section one plus this one in section two to build this claim. It's only when you do everything that you're infringing a patent. The difficulty with the method patent, especially in software, especially with confidentiality and all the protectiveness that video game companies have, is that if you wind up outputting something that looks like the Nemesis system, take, for example, Assassin's Creed Odyssey's mercenaries that look a lot like the nemesis system, they kind of have certain interactions with you and they're procedurally generated. They don't quite do what Shadow of Mordor or Shadow of War does. But if you imagine something that does it a little bit more, has a little bit more of a hierarchy kind of concept, then the Warner Brothers folks are going to send you a letter and regardless of whether or not you followed your method or not, you're going to get into a little bit of trouble. You're also going to get into trouble because like everything in the law, everything's gray area and it's always a maybe, right? What I just read to you that you have to have performed each and every step or element of a claim method or product is only kind of true. Because the doctrine of equivalence says, okay, if you go and you come up with a substitute for this section here or this section here that is identical in performance and function, then we can still, even though it's not letter of the law, we can still hold you to have infringed the patent. Which leaves us all in the unenviable state of saying, well, does this thing live or not? They're going to be issued a patent and what realistically it means is, I think, best articulated by Cat Manning here towards the end of the Video Games Chronicle article. Says, hey, I looked at the patent, it's so broad as to be absurd. I tend to agree. I think it's very, very broad. Multiple other emergent narrative systems that I've seen and worked on could be described with their language. It would probably not be legally enforceable, but I and other indie devs don't have the money to find out. And that's a common problem that we've talked about in virtual legality. It's the chip stack at the poker table, right? It's the DMCA takedown when it's a big giant company. It's knowing that you could potentially be in the right, but the way that the law works, the way that the patent system works in this particular instance, once you have issued it to a giant multinational corporation like Warner Brothers, you do put indie developers, smaller companies, in a bit of a lurch, because even if they listen to virtual legality and they look at this and they say, well, I think there's probably a million things that I can show as prior art for these kinds of concepts, right down to things like hierarchy and factionalism and things like that. And Crusader Kings is actually a great example. And I would say that anybody that's interested in all of the various weaknesses of this particular set of patent claims can go look now at five years of the patent office saying, no, no, no. And then suddenly they basically say, yes, there isn't a fundamental change in what Warner Brothers was claiming. It effectively was just them beating them down for years and years and years until the patent office decided to issue the patent. There are some minor changes around wording. You see even here, some minor changes in wording in the last couple of iterations where they got rid of set of and things like that in terms of the language. But if you're going to fight this thing, somebody with money is going to have to fight it And be willing to take a lawsuit and litigation expenses to put anything remotely like the nemesis system in their video game. So while I am in general in favor of the intellectual property regimes in the US and other jurisdictions, I do look at this as a circumstance where the end effect is going to be much fewer attempts at trying to put a nemesis system in your game, even if it wouldn't be violative of a patent, even if this patent might be unissuable and could be fought in court in its entirety. And I do think there are claims that you could say, hey, all of this is either not patentable, it's overbroad, or it's obvious from the patents and other concepts that existed, or somebody else did it already. And so you shouldn't have been issued the patent in the first instance. But all of those examples require you to go to court and fight off WB attorneys that might be all too willing to send you a letter saying, don't do this on pain of death. This has been virtual reality for today. I'm very likely to talk about this in the new column that I am doing on a fairly regular basis. We'll see. I've done one and I think this will be the second one over at Video Games Chronicle, so look out for that, that might hit this week or next. Uh, But otherwise, if you caught this and you enjoyed this conversation, I know patents are hard to talk about, please consider supporting the channel. We love having folks here. We're at the usual places where you can support channels like ours. If you don't want to go that far, who can blame you? Just subscribe, tell your friends. We love every little bit of help and we very much appreciate all the new voices. We're getting here at the channel and certainly in my DMs for everybody that told me about this story this morning that woke me up on Saturday saying, hey, Rick, we need you to talk about patents. I very much appreciate it. I appreciate all of you. Please feel free to leave your comments to this video and tell me how right or how wrong I am. Either way is fine with me. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality.